0: All right. Hey, I want to start tonight by telling you guys about my biggest victory of all time. Okay. Biggest victory of all time. So we're going to go back in time. It's my senior year of college, October 2017. I played football for Wheaton and Wheaton had a rivalry game against North Central, not the North Central here, a North Central down in Illinois. And these two teams, the Wheaton College Thunder and the North Central Cardinals, played every year for the Little Brass Bell. It was this rivalry rivalry trophy. They got passed back and forth between the teams since the 1940s, but the game had been played since the early 1900s. Like this rivalry goes back. And this was the game every single year. Like we would circle on our calendar. Like this is the one that everybody on the team was so hyped up about. This is the one that everybody wanted to win. And the year before 2016, my junior year, we lost to North Central. And the bell went to Naperville, Illinois with the North Central Cardinals. And so as the little brass bell game approached in 2017, like – our preparation. It, it took on a new intensity. Like, like we had never practiced so hard. We had never watched film so carefully. We had never worked out in the weight room, like with as much intensity as we were bringing, like we were preparing for this particular game because we wanted to win and game time rolled around on a Saturday night under the lights, both teams, they take the field in the middle of a rainstorm. Like there's puddles, it's sloppy football and, uh, you know, North central, they were ranked number four in the country coming into our home stadium. And, uh, They were coming in on a hot streak. They hadn't lost a game in a really, really long time. We were unranked coming off an embarrassing loss. And so we knew if we were going to save our season, it had to start right here. And so early on in the game, in in the midst of of the the pouring rain, North Central scored a touchdown and kicked two field goals and went up 13 to nothing. And then right before halftime, we managed to make – Make it into the end zone, we cut the lead to six points, so it's 13-7 going in to halftime. And during halftime, this rainstorm picked up in intensity, and, and lightning started to flash and, and thunder started to boom, and, and the game got postponed. So the second half of our biggest game of the entire year, we had to wait two days and play it on the Monday night. North central kicked off to start the third quarter on that Monday night. Like we had our mindset on one thing. It was go get that bell. That was all we cared about. And I I had never seen us play as good a football as we played for the rest of that game. Like, we scored three straight times. We went up 28 to 13 and like we never looked back. We ended up winning the game 42 to 20 and we reclaimed the little brass bell. And I've got I've got photos of us with the bell, right? Like man, we wanted it. But you know You know I I really shouldn't say we well, here's the deal. I actually didn't, I actually didn't play in the game. Like I wasn't even in pads on the sidelines. I didn't practice hard. I didn't lift hard in the weight room. I didn't watch any film because I technically wasn't even on the roster. I was the media manager for the football team that season. I ran social media and made highlight videos But even though I didn't play one single snap in that football game, that victory, that was mine all the same. That bell, that bell was mine. This is week four of our last series called True and Better. As your pastor, I I want you to learn to love God's word. And in order to love God's word, you have to know how to read God's word. And this is a book that's not an easy book to understand. This is a book that was written thousands of years ago to a culture very different than ours. It was written in a part of the world that looks nothing like the United States. And so when God speaks to us through this word, it's actually hard for us to grasp the full meaning of what he's trying to communicate to us if we don't put in some kind of training, some kind of work, right? It's not a book of like fortune cookie one-liners that you can just kind of pull out and sprinkle on your day and say, I I have my verse. Like I want you to, to, to train to read this book and to love this book and to hear what God would want to say to you in it. See, when we read the Old Testament, the first half of our Bible, what we find out is that Jesus is actually the key to understanding all of it. He's the fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus is the true and the better version of Adam who passed his test in the garden where Adam failed. Jesus, he's the true and better version of Abraham who is the ultimate sacrifice for us. Jesus is the true and the better Moses, who established a new covenant promises for his people. And tonight, Jesus is the true and better David, who wins a victory that is for his people. It's the title of the message tonight, True and Better David. But this message also, has a subtitle as i was thinking and prepping through this message a a subtitle came to my mind and it's it's what i wish that i could tell you this might be the last thing that you ever hear me say there are some students in this room who won't come back to next next year I, i know that for a fact there are eighth graders who will like somehow not make the transition to high school and you guys might not ever set foot and hear me preach again. I might not see you again. This message is what I would want you to hear from me if you never heard another word that I ever had to say. And so the big idea for tonight, if you're a note taker, I want you to write this down. It's that Jesus's victory counted for you. Jesus's victory counted for you. I picked a long text for tonight, um, but it's a familiar one. It's one that you've probably read and heard a whole bunch. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. So if you've got your Bible, either paper copy or electronic form, pull that out. Make me there, meet me there. First Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to read some of it. I'm going to like summarize some of it. So we'll kind of go bounce back and forth, but I'd love it if you were, you were kind of along for the ride with me. And kind of to set up this story, and you, you know it, it's, it's a familiar one. A thousand years before Jesus is incarnate as a human being, an enemy comes to the shores of Israel. They're the seafaring people and they land on the coast and they, they set up these massive walled cities and they become the enemies of Israel for the next 600 years. We know them in the Bible as the Philistines. And in this first whole half of our Bible, the Old Testament, it's, it's one running narrative of conflict between Israel and their enemies. And in this story that we're about to read, the, the Philistine army has a champion, a giant, and his name is Goliath. And, and Goliath sets the entire army of Israel shaking in their boots. They run from battle. They can't even face him. He's too big. He's too strong. So like I said, this is a familiar story. Hopefully, we'll see some things in it that we've never seen before. So let's start reading 1 Samuel chapter 17. It says, the Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Soko and Judah and Azekah and ephesh Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. You come with me to Israel in the summer, we'll go there. You can grab stones from the brook like David did. Verse 3 says, So the Philistines and Israelites, they faced each other on opposite hills, with the valley in between them. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He wore bronze leg armor and carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of the spear was as heavy and as thick as a weaver's beam, and it was tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites, "'Why are you all coming out to fight? "'I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul.'" choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we'll be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. So it just so happens, right? That that David's three oldest brothers, King David, the David we read about all throughout the Bible before he was king had had brothers and they were soldiers in King Saul's army and and they're out there fighting against Goliath and the armies of the Philistines and, and David's dad sends David along with kind of like a care package, like a goodie bag full of bread and snacks for his brothers. And when David gets to the army's camp, right, he hears this rumor. Here's this rumor going around that, that Saul has promised that if anyone could go fight Goliath one-on-one and win, he would give his daughter to that man, make him essentially a prince of Israel, and he would make it so that his family never had to pay taxes ever again. And so David, he starts like asking around, like, is this rumor true? Did Saul really say this? And enough people confirm it. So David goes to Saul and he volunteers. So let's pick up in verse 32. So if you have to flip the page or skip ahead, pick up in verse 32. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're, you're only a boy. He's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaws and I club it to death. I've done this to lions and to bears and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. So Saul is kind of like, all right, here, like take my armor and go fight this guy. And David, you know, he tries on all of the armor, but it's too heavy. It doesn't fit well. He can't move around in it. Like he couldn't possibly fight Goliath in this armor. And so, so David, he takes it off and he runs into battle with, with basically the loadout that he's comfortable with. He's got his slingshot. He's got five stones and he's got his shepherd's staff. So we're going to skip ahead to verse 41 and see what happens. Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy faced boy. Am I a dog? He roared at David that you come at me with a stick. And he cursed David by the name of his gods. Come over here and I'll, I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals. Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and I'll cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle and he will give it to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him, reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone. He hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from his sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head." I know. So David, he strikes this killing blow. He defeats Goliath and all the army of Israel who had been hiding in fear, cowering back behind their lines, They come out with the confidence to chase down the Philistine army and they win an incredible victory. You know, people always say like, truth is stranger than fiction. Like what a wild and crazy true story. I said that my big idea tonight is that Jesus's victory counted for you. So how do we see Jesus in this story to unlock what God is trying to say to us tonight. See every great battle it's got, it's got an enemy to overcome. David fought against this giant. Every great battle has a hero who steps up David in one-on-one combat, an unlikely hero. And every great battle has a victory worth celebrating. So let's dive in. My first point tonight is this, that we have an enemy. We have an enemy. If you're a note taker, I want you to write that down. We have an enemy. David, he squared off against a giant who was seemingly unbeatable. He was giantly tall. He was massively outfitted in armor. He was strong, he was a warrior and he was going to crush anyone who came up against him. David had an enemy. And I think that we too have an enemy or rather I think that we have three enemies. Three great enemies as big as Goliath. Our first great enemy is the world. The world. Now, I want to be super clear right from the jump. When I say the world, I don't mean other people. Other people are not our enemy. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, confirms that the people made in the image of God are not the ones that we're fighting against, we're fighting against the world. A pastor named John Mark Comer, he defines the world like this, a system of ideas, values, morals, practices, and social norms that are integrated into the mainstream and eventually institutionalized in a culture that is corrupted by the twin sins of rebellion against God and the redefinition of good and evil. The world is a system a value system rooted in rebellion against God and the redefinition of what good and evil are. Jesus himself said in John chapter 15, that if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you're no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world and so that it hates you. The world is our enemy, this value system. But we have a second enemy, the flesh. The flesh is our enemy. And now I wanna be super clear in my definitions here too. Like your physical body is not your enemy. I know what it's like to look into the mirror and to hate what you see. I know what it's like to wish desperately that you looked like that model or that actor or that musician but you have been fearfully and wonderfully made by the God of the universe. The same God who created supernovas and sunsets, the God who formed mountain ranges and the morning mist, the God who spoke oceans into existence and calls orca whales by their name. Your body is good. So when I say that the flesh is our enemy, I mean the disordered desires that exist within us because of sin. We are constantly tempted to gratify the desires of our flesh, says it in Galatians chapter five. And in Jeremiah 17, it tells us that that our heart is deceitful. That means our own desires and our feelings can't be trusted to guide us. One pastor once said that your feelings are real, but they're not always reliable. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, that if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. The world is our enemy. The flesh is our enemy. And our last three, third enemy is the devil. Right, The world, the flesh, and the devil, Satan. Since his fall from the halls of heaven, Satan has been the adversary of God and of God's people. We know from God's word that Satan's mission is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. We know that he is called the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians chapter two, meaning that he has power here on earth as he battles against God. We know from God's word that when when Satan tempted Jesus in the desert, he offered Jesus all of the kingdoms of the world because he has some degree of authority here. And we know from God's word that the devil is a liar. He's called the father of lies in John chapter eight. And he speaks only lies over you. The world, the flesh and the devil are the three great enemies that we face. And all of this means that you are the battleground where this fight is going on. On one side of you is the devil and the lies he's trying to speak over you. On the other is the world and it's corrupted values and social norms. And inside of you are these disordered desires of your flesh, on account of your sin. I think TikTok might actually be like a perfect example of of these three things kind of colliding. The amount of bad takes that I've seen on social media, like bold-faced lies about the character of God, distortions of his word, values and norms that are anti-gospel, encouragements to give into those disordered desires of your flesh. Um, There's a Stanford professor named uh, Renee DeRosa, and and she said that if you make it trend, you make it true. Like think about that. If you make it trend, you make it true. Just the fact that things go viral on TikTok or reels or whatever, like people just accept it hook, line, and sinker. That's exactly what I'm talking about when it's like these three enemies all collide right where you are, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And when you look out and you see enemies stacked against you like that, It can be so hopeless. It can seem like there is no chance of victory. Just like a giant named Goliath standing against the armies of Israel, a shepherd boy named David. It can be so easy to lose hope that there could be victory against enemies, that a giant like the world, the flesh and the devil could ever fall. It would be so easy to look at yourself and to feel completely incapable of fighting an enemy like that, of three enemies like that. But God used a hero to take down Goliath. And so that's my second point tonight. We have a hero, we have a hero. Cause there's a big mistake that people make when they start reading in first Samuel and they get to chapter 17 when they try to understand this passage and and glean from it what God might have to say to them, they hear about this enemy named Goliath and and people start to think like, ah, like what's the giant in my life? What's the thing that I'm facing? What's in in my way that seems like I could never overcome it? Maybe it's a relational struggle with friends and that seems like a giant to you. Maybe it's the way that you see yourself with the self-worth self-image, self-esteem, that seems like a giant to you. Maybe it's a home life that only seems to get worse and never seems to get better. And that seems like a giant to you. Maybe it's the three enemies that I've talked about and you've already seen them in your own lives, right? The world and its values, the flesh and its disordered desires, the devil and his lies, You look at this three-headed enemy and you think about how like, you just need to fight back. You need to be like David and start picking up stones and slinging them at your enemy. You have to just try harder and, and do better so that you can win this battle against your sin. But this is the catastrophic mistake that people make when they start reading this part of the Bible. Most people, they read themselves into the story. They read themselves as David they, they think like, I'm going to be this hero and I'm going to stand up to this giant. I'm going to defeat it. I'm going to win. But that's not how we read the Bible. A pastor down in Texas named Matt Chandler uh, preached a sermon on this passage and he, he like yelled at his people. Like he, he stood on stage and he yelled, you're not David! Like that to his people because he had to get it through to their brains that when they read this story, when you read this story, you aren't him, you're not the one going out to fight. You know who you are? You know who I am? We're the army of Israel. We're cowering behind enemy lines. We're shaking in our boots, incapable of going out to fight Goliath. And if you want to really understand God's word, then you've got to know that you could never defeat an enemy so great. You are not the hero of this story. When we read this text rightly, when we start to understand our Bibles the way that they're meant to be understood, we see that Jesus is the hero of this story, not you. Jesus is the true and the better David. He's the one who's strong enough to conquer giants. He's the one who can do battle with the world, the flesh and the devil and come out victorious. Jesus, he takes on the value system of the world and gives us a better story, a true story, a new way to live. Jesus fights against the flesh and its disordered desires and, and he never sins once. And because he never sinned, he can give you a new heart and he can make you a new creation. Jesus, he he combats the lies of Satan with the truth of God's word. And he gives you the authority to stand on those promises in God's word and on that truth when the lies start to bombard you from all sides. Jesus is the hero. Jesus is the true and the better David when Jesus defeats our enemies the victory that he wins applies to us we didn't fight the battle he did I didn't play one snap against North Central my team did his victory is our victory Jesus won it for us And so if you're wondering, like, what do you need to start doing right now? The answer is nothing. The answer is you need to stop trying to be the hero. You need to stop thinking that you just have to do better. You need to stop struggling and white knuckling, trying to hold out longer. Stop believing that you have anything to contribute to this great victory because you don't. In Exodus chapter 14, verse 14 I love this verse. It says that the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Every great battle has an enemy to overcome. A hero who steps up and a victory that is worth celebrating. So if I can, if I can tonight, let me, let me just remind you of that victory tonight. If I never have another opportunity to speak into your life, I want you to know that this victory has been won for you. The world, the flesh, the devil, these three great enemies that stand against us, that stand between us and God. I mean, the devil, he's spoken lies since the very beginning. He lied to Adam and to Eve and and he convinced them to rebel against God that rebellion of Adam and Eve, like we call that sin. Sin has corrupted and twisted the good gifts that God has given to us. It corrupts even our own thoughts and desires and motives and hopes and dreams. The sinful flesh of humanity has created a world with a value system where evil is redefined as good and and good redefined as evil. And these enemies cannot be overcome on our own. We can try to fight, but we'll lose every time. We're way more likely to run and to hide or maybe to hurt other people in our attempts to deal with these three enemies. But Jesus... God in the flesh stepped out of heaven. He became a human being just like you and me so that he could fight for us. In the garden of Eden, Adam failed the test that God gave him. But in the garden of Gethsemane, When Jesus could have said, you know what? I'm done. I'm not going to die for my people. I'm not going to the cross. Jesus passed his test. Abraham was willing to offer up his son, Isaac, as a sacrifice to prove that God was his treasure. But Jesus became the final sacrifice that we will ever need. Moses, he, he mediated this covenant between God and his people, But Jesus mediates a new covenant on promises that will last forever. David beat a giant so that his people could experience victory. Jesus defeats the world, the flesh, and the devil so that we can experience victory. See, Jesus, he didn't die on a Roman cross because he lost. His death was the way to win Because three days later, Jesus rose from the dead and he conquered sin and he conquered death. And in Colossians chapter two, it says that you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to a cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. The death and the resurrection of Jesus defeats the world and its values. It defeats the flesh and our disordered desires. And it defeats the devil and his lies. And you can have a relationship with God because of the victory that Jesus won for you. And that victory is fully and truly yours, yours to hold on to. You didn't fight the battle, but you get all of the benefit. And if I never get to say another word to you, I would want my last words to you to be this that you can know for certain, for all time, that you have been saved if you trust in Jesus. So let's pray. Lord God, I worship you for this school year. I worship you for what you've been doing in the lives of these students. But God, I most of all worship you for what you did for us on the cross. God, that you won the battle that we could never win. And God, that you gave us a victory that's fully and truly ours. Thank you, Jesus. As we move into the summer God, would you give us a desire to read your word to know you better? Would we see Jesus on every page? And would it change us? And God, for a student in here who's struggling, struggling against enemies of the world and the flesh and the devil, Lord, would you win tonight in their lives? Would today be the day of salvation? Would they trust in you, Jesus, for their victory? We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.